Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by Jimmy Harris of Unicoi Outfitters. We take a deep dive into Jimmy's fly fishing journey, the history of Unicoi Outfitters, and all the great fly fishing options in North Georgia and beyond. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And folks, save the date. Our friend Landon Mayer is hosting the 8th Annual Clean the Dream on August 26th on the South Platte River. If you'll be in the Denver area, you should definitely check it out. It will be a great day of fellowship and stewardship. Check out Landon's Instagram, at Landon Mayer Fly Fishing, for more details. Now, on to our interview. Well, Jimmy, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Marvin, it's great to talk with you. I'm glad to have this opportunity. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. And we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. We'd like to ask all of our guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Earliest fishing memory. Well, I grew up in middle Georgia. No trout or anything. Uh, but my my absolute earliest fishing memory, and, and I'm pretty sure I've got this right because I used to ask my parents about it. We had a little four-acre pond behind our house. And my mom was actually the angler in the family. My dad would go, but he could care less. He went because my mom went. And I remember sitting in the John boat in the middle of that uh, that pond and it it had not been built, but like three years. We, my dad built it for my mom so she'd have a place to fish. And uh, we catching bluegills, you know, just going home and having a fish fry. And I was probably four or five, I'm guessing. And I caught a little largemouth and had never seen one before. And I, I distinctly remember asking, what kind of brim is this? And uh, they were explaining to me that that's not a brim, that's a bass, you know. And uh, But anyhow, that's, that's, uh, that's my earliest fishing experience. And interestingly enough, as I said, my dad was not an outdoorsman. He was a, he was a horticulturist. So he, he got his kicks in his greenhouse, you know. And, uh, but I had a cousin whose family was fishing or hunting every spare moment they had. And he was like a year younger than me. And, and we, it's like we grew up together. So I had that influence on me that kind of got me in the outdoors and got me into fishing and hunting and everything. So, uh, I, I was very fortunate in that regard. I could have ended up being a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> there were there worse things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I probably still am at some point. <laughs> uh, yeah, they just don't. They have to get to later in life before they get all the girls. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so, when did you come to the dark side of fly fishing? I was. Uh, it was in the middle seventies and I was living in Arkansas. I was teaching at a small university, uh, Arkansas tech university in Russellville, Arkansas. And, you know, we, I, I love the outdoors, man. 
if you like the outdoors, that area of Arkansas is a great place to live. Just to the north, you've got the Ozark Mountains. Just to the south, you've got the Washita Mountains. I lived on Lake Dardanelle, uh, which was, you know, part of the uh, Arkansas River. I mean, <clears throat> there were just tons of outdoor activities available to you. And I just, I got an interest in learning how to fly fish. And I didn't know anyone that fly fish. So I went to what was probably the precursor to Walmart at that point, you know, just a, a, a kind of a store that has some of everything in it there in Russellville. And I bought a, uh, I bought a fiberglass uh, Shakespeare fly rod, seven weight, and a Martin reel with a level line on it. And, and then I went to the library at the university and looked for books on fly fishing. And, you know, we're, we're covered up with information nowadays. I mean, all you got to do is think about it and somehow Google knows you're thinking about it and they start putting it up on, on your, uh, your feed, on your social media and everything all the time. But this, the library at the university had one book on fly fishing. And I wish to goodness I could remember the title of the book and the author, but I can't. So if, if I describe it, maybe some of your listeners out there can chime in and say, oh, yeah, I had that book. Uh, but I, I taught myself how to cast a fly rod with that book. But the, way I, the thing I remember about that book was the very first page, he opened it up and he said, rule number one of fly fishing, never, ever attempt to teach a loved one how to cast a fly rod. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, being in the fly fishing business for almost the last 30 years, that's a gospel truth right there. <laughs> you don't teach your wife or your spouse or your children how to cast a fly rod. You get someone else to do it for you. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, late seventies and, uh, I would just, I would go out on, uh, you know, just wade out in Lake Dardanelle and with a popping bug and, and catch brim and, and, you know, caught a few bass every now and then. I didn't know what I was doing, but, uh, but then I moved back to Georgia, uh, around, uh, 79 or 80 and uh and living in the mountains up here in north georgia i decided i wanted to learn how to trout fish with a fly rod and uh again didn't know anyone that that did it so i just i bought a i bought a little five weight fiberglass rod and uh started going primarily to the chatuga river and uh I've, I've told a lot of people this, uh, I'm, I'm known for one thing and pretty much one thing only. If I start something, I'm too hard headed to quit it. And I fished the Chattooga river for two years before I ever landed a fish on a fly rod. And, uh, thank goodness I got hooked up with the local trout unlimited chapter, Raven chapter of trout unlimited. And those are those are the guys that taught me how to catch fish, and I'm forever indebted to them. But uh, but yeah, I pretty much taught myself how. I uh, 
I, I think I, I was really big into uh, bow hunting. This is uh, pre-compound bows, you know, recurve bows. And I, this is my thoughts on it. <clears throat> being being an, uh, accurate with a bow is very similar in some ways to making a good cast with a fly rod. You know, anybody can hit a pie plate at 20 yards with a bow, but the people that can hit a 50-cent piece on a consistent basis have learned how to tweak the minute things in 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 their technique and that's kind of the way casting a fly rod is you know you can get out there and flail around and you can even catch fish flailing around but to really develop you have to start paying attention to every portion of your cast you know what is it doing am i watching my back cast you know am i hesitating long enough before i make the the forward cast and that kind of thing. And I think that helped me a good bit, that and being hard-headed. Just uh, it seemed to work for me. Yeah, it's funny. That's good to know because my youngest son's hard-headed, so hopefully it's going to work out for him too. <laughs> <laughs> it does for some of us. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, if you live long enough. Yeah, exactly. Or as I like to say, if they don't grind all the edges off of you in the process <laughs> – <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so you bumped into the guys at TU and you were kind of self-taught in the beginning, but did you have any folks that kind of mentored you as you kind of kept going down the fly fishing path? Oh, oh, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, TU is not a fly fishing uh, club or anything, but most of these guys did fly fish. And <clears throat> now I'm, we're talking about guys that have been fly fishing since the late forties and early fifties. And so, you know, they, in North Georgia, that that's, that's pretty impressive. I mean, one of my, one of my closest mentors was a fellow by the name of Doug Adams. And, uh, Doug was a Georgia tech graduate, an engineer. And as, as soon as he graduated from college, he he fished the Chattooga River uh, while when he was a teenager and in college and everything. As soon as he graduated from college, he moved to North Georgia, to Rabin County, where he was within 20 minutes of the Chattooga River and found a, an engineering job up here and stayed up here all of his life. <laughs> but, I mean, that's how dedicated these guys were to it, you know, the, the, the kind of folks that would pack up their family and move move uh move across country or across state and uh you know what well, have you got a job there no but i'll find something but well why are you moving there well the the trout fishing's really good <laughs> <laughs> so i had some i had some really class mentors <laughs> and they taught me how to catch it what happened was when, when i was fishing for two years and i was only fishing a dry fly i didn't even know there was nymph fishing i was only fishing a dry fly and I was setting the I was setting the hook too quickly. As soon as I saw a bulge around my fly, I set the hook. So I never fully set the hook on a trout well enough to land it. You know, they they just worked with me for a little while and told me to slow down a little bit and relax, and everything kind of came together. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty neat. And I know some folks may not know this, Jimmy, but you own 
several other businesses in addition to being a partner in Unicoi Outfitters. And I was kind of curious, um, you know, when you have more than one, um, you, you must have had some kind of aha moment where you decided that uh, you didn't want to work for other people and you wanted to work for yourself. Uh, that, that aha moment was, uh, in the late seventies when I was working with a company that, uh, we, uh, we would, uh, locate and, uh, and, uh, and purchase timberland as investment properties for whoever pensions, uh, insurance companies, uh, even, even the, uh, timber companies like Georgia Craft and Georgia Pacific and those people they they bought they bought tracts of land from it. And you may not remember this, but in the late seventies, interest rates went to like twenty two percent, and people quit buying houses, so there was no market for timber. And I I literally I don't you know when you get old you start getting reports from the Social Security administration about oh you earned this you paid in this much this year this much this year um in 1980 i think it was uh, my report still shows i made zero money that year zero now thank goodness the years leading up had been pretty good and so i i uh i had funds to live off of but uh no i just uh it was kind of forced on me to, to try something else. So I went to my accountant. I said, Hey, I'm tired of doing this. Wonder if you would let me know if anything locally comes available, any businesses. And so he did. And, uh, long story short is I got into it. I actually got into it with a partner because he had been in it for about 30 years, that same industry. And, uh, and I had not, I knew nothing about it. So he was, he was a good friend of mine, good fishing buddy. And I said, uh, would you go in and partners with me? And he says, I don't have time. And I said, that's all I've got is time. I don't have any knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I said, don't take this the wrong way, but I only want you for your brain. And so 40 years later, we're still partners. So it worked out pretty well. Yeah, and and so uh, how did you become a partner in Unicoi Outfitters? Um, yeah, it's kind of a long, sad story, but uh, in the middle '90s, I was uh, in the process of getting a divorce and going through the the trauma that that creates for everybody. And um, I was already a pretty serious uh, fly fisherman, so I just I went fishing every day. I would leave my office in the middle of the day and say, I'll see y'all tomorrow. I'm going fishing. And it was just, you know, I call it therapeutic fishing. And it really helped me get through that time. But it it just kind of became word of mouth around here that if you want to know anything about trout fishing in this area, call Jimmy. Because he does it all the time. And uh, from from that I kind of started uh, doing a little guiding, and uh, and from that, uh, a couple of local guys started a fly shop in Helen, Georgia, in, in 1994, and it was a it was a hobby thing for them, 
and you never knew if they were going to have anybody running it or if it would be you'd drive over there and it'd be closed or or whatever but they had good stuff <laughs> high-end stuff there and uh but one of them was going to take a a job in texas and the other guy he they both had other jobs and the other guy called me one night and this is kind of providential i think he called me one night and he said hey listen you know uh, bruce is leaving and wonder if you would uh be interested in buying the shop because i know i can't run it by myself and i said I don't know. I said, can it be a, a real business? And it was just dead quiet on the phone. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I said, never mind. I think I know the answer. I said, but I said, let me, let me think about it. That was like, uh, and I somehow know that this is what happens when you get old. I remember it was, that was a Tuesday evening. And the next morning in my office, I get a call from another friend. And he says, Hey, Jimmy, guess what? He said, my company, he was a, he was the operations manager for a winery here. He said, my company just bought 384 acres on the Chattahoochee river in white County. And, uh, I knew exactly where he was talking about. And he said, would you be interested in fishing? And I said, I've, I've lusted after that piece of river since I moved up here in the early seventies. And, uh, I'd love to. He said, when would you like to go? I said, today. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, he said, okay, let's go. So, uh, now the family that owned this piece of property and it has a mile and a half of frontage on both sides of the river. And they had owned it since 1917 and had not allowed anyone to fish it. And, even had a caretaker with a shotgun that patrolled it and would would uh, threaten you with, with your life if you came on that property. And uh, so, as you can imagine, not not having been fished in decades, uh, it, the fishing was just goofy. I mean, you know, it just there were big fish, a lot of them. They they were not shy about taking a fly so as we're getting off the river that afternoon he says to me he says you know he'd been telling me all day what their vision was to do with that property they were going to build uh the winery there and there's an old mill old old uh, uh, grist mill on the river there they were going to incorporate that and the winery and some other old houses and just kind of develop a little village there that looks kind of like a mill village, but it, you know, each building had a shop in it of some type. And he said, do you have any ideas of how we could incorporate the river uh, into this master plan we've got? And uh, I just looked at him and smiled. I said, yeah, I think you should lease it to someone and let them manage it for trophy trout fishing. And his a light bulb kind of went off over his head, and he said, "Do you have anybody in mind?" <laughs> <laughs> now this is this was twelve hours after I had been offered to buy this to purchase the shop, and, uh, and so I said, "Yeah, I think I do." So long story short is we uh, 
we worked out an agreement with the landowner. Uh, they built a building specifically for us to move. We moved Unicoi Outfitters into their building. We're right on the banks of the Chattahoochee River. And uh, it's just a, it's a pretty cool place. Pretty cool place. Yeah, that's pretty neat. And so at that point, you had, uh, you know, had some uh, business experience. But I was kind of curious, you know, you know, what was one of the biggest challenges in kind of the early days of you taking over the shop? Uh, the biggest challenge, I mean, there, there's always been a, a lot of uh, demand for what we had uh, once we opened. But the, the biggest challenge was managing the inventory. We didn't, for years, we didn't do a particularly good job of having the right amount of inventory at the right time or having too much inventory and not enough cash. I mean, the fly fishing world is a from the retail end it's it's not a piece of cake it's uh it's it's a pretty tough industry to be in you know we were fortunate in in probably in the first probably in the first 10 years we were open there um and i don't even know how this started but but we were we were probably we we probably did over twenty TV shows in the first ten years we were set up there, and uh, I mean you know ESPN, uh, that what was then the Outdoor Channel, Turner Network, public broadcasting. I mean we just we just had opportunity after opportunity to be on TV and get some exposure, and of course that helped. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's surprising, you know, we're not North Carolina we never will be North Carolina when it comes to comparing trout fisheries, but there are over 4,000 miles of designated trout water in North Georgia, uh, throughout the mountains up here and, and a couple of tailwaters. And, uh, so the, the, the fishing opportunities are really good and it was, it was something different, you know, people didn't have to as you and I were talking earlier, people didn't have to travel to Montana or Wyoming to have a, a pretty cool fly fishing experience for trout. And so we, we've been fortunate there, but, but our biggest challenge was probably managing, managing inventory and cash flow. Yeah. It was a little bit earlier. It made me think about that joke. You know, it's like, how do you uh, become a millionaire owning a fly shop and <laughs> start with $2 million? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's the same way. That same joke is uh, is pertinent in in, in uh, some of my other businesses. I'm, I'm involved in in different ways with uh, the textile industry. <laughs> you know, the joke is you ask the guy, "What would you do if you had all the money in the world?" He said, "Well, I'd probably stay in the textile business till it ran out." <laughs> so, <laughs> So yeah, I'm used to that. Yeah, and so it's funny, right? You mentioned you've you've almost been kind of in the fly shop uh, game for almost thirty years. You know, kind of what's the yeah. yeah, what's the biggest change you've seen, Jimmy? Kind of in the retail and guidance side of the business over that time. Uh, well, number one is uh, from the guide side. Uh, there weren't many guides here. We were pretty much in, in the trout fishing world. Other than us, 
there might have been one or two guys in North Georgia that that professed to be professional trout fishing, uh, fly fishing guides. So, and now, due to the fact that in Georgia there are no requirements, legal requirements to be a guide, um, a fishing guide. I mean, all you got to do is wake up in the morning and face the rising sun and declare yourself a, a fly fishing guide. Um, and I don't want to sound too derogatory about that, but there are a lot of those out there. And so there's a lot of competition. There are more fly shops. There was one fly shop in Atlanta uh, when we started. There had been two, but the other one went out of business. Uh, but but uh, the fish hawk, which I'm sure you've probably heard of in Atlanta, um, I mean, they just, you know, they they were it. They were the classic fly shop and had been there for a long time and were actually instrumental in us getting set up. They, uh, they gave uh, our blessings to the manufacturers that we wanted, you know, Sims and Sage and Thomas and Thomas and Orvis and all of those, uh, you know, uh, they could have said, no, we don't, we don't want to open another dealer in, in Georgia. We've got this one in Atlanta and it's doing really well. But, the, but Gary Merriman at the Fishhawk was kind enough to uh, say, ah, go ahead. He said, you know, they're going to teach people how to fly fish. And uh, he said, I think it'll help my business also. So, so that's, that's probably the, the biggest thing is there's just more competition. There are, you know, the online shops uh, that, you know, you don't build up a, you don't build up a loyalty from your clientele. You just offer the best price, you know, the cheapest price. And, and uh, you know, that all, impacts the little local shops and uh other than that i would say uh you know just a kind of a a, a complaint about the fly fishing world is that when 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 fly rod companies started offering lifetime warranties on their fly rods i, I don't i don't know anybody even the manufacturers that don't that was a really good idea. And as you know, now a lot of them aren't lifetime warranties and the ones that are lifetime warranties, um, the, uh, the deal they offered you when you, uh, when you bought the rod, let's say back in the nineties, you know, they probably, they probably offered you free replacement or free repair or whatever. Now that repair is anywhere between 60 and $120 for that same rod, the rod they said they were going to fix for free for you. So that I, I don't, I don't know if they could go back and look at that again. I think they'd probably rethink that. Uh, it, it caused the price of all fly rods to go up. And then here we are now, we're still, we're right back at paying to have them repaired. So those are just some of the things that have changed. The other things that have changed is the gear is just out of sight nowadays. I mean, you couldn't the the fly rods that were the premium fly rods in the nineties 
you can buy those as an entry-level rod now. And I'm talking about rods that sell for $200 or less. Just as good as anything uh, that we had on the market back in the 90s. So the, the quality of the gear is just out of sight. It's pricey. It's outside. You can still get into the sport. Uh, you know, you get uh, some of the rods made overseas and everything. And those those rods for 99 and 9 tenths percent of the anglers out there, those rods will meet every situation you'll face as a flying. And, and they're sturdy. They last a long time. Yeah. I always tell people to take the extra money and get some casting lessons and it'll work out better for them. So it will. Yeah, it will. I mean, don't you just hate somebody comes in a fly shop and, and, uh, they say, I, I want to get a new rod and they, they migrate towards those high end rods and I'm not complaining. I like to sell those high end rods, but I just, they go out in the yard to cast them and, and, and you say, wow, they say, wow, that, that feels really great. And, and they just, they don't know how to cast. They just, they need to spend some time. Like I say, if I could find that book that I taught myself how to cast with, I'd stock that thing in the shop and I'd give it to everybody that bought a fly rod. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, I would say, you know, I, I think Atlanta probably has probably one of the best concentrations of um, master casting instructors in the country. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, so like I can, you know, Some I think. Great. Yeah. I mean, I think the two of us, we could probably name a dozen people off the top of our head. So, I mean. Oh. And then, and, and probably another dozen that uh, have gotten the certification and, and just, you know, we don't know about it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of them at the Atlanta Fly Fishing Club, and then obviously Mac Martin mm-hmm. has got his casting school. So, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, no excuse in North Georgia. <laughs> 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 um, you know, so I'm a bit of a shop rat, um, and so you know, it's all I love going in fly shops, just like I like going in old bookstores and old record shops. And you know, one of the things yeah. that always strikes me, Jimmy, is you know, every shop has its own personality. And, uh, oh, yeah. it was just kind of curious, you know, kind of what was, what do you think the personality is of uh, your shop in Helen? The number one thing that I, that I try to, uh, ingrain in, in the guys that are not only the guys working in the shop, but, but the guides who may be hanging around the shop waiting on a trip or just finished a trip or something like that is I don't care who comes through that door i don't want anyone to feel intimidated by the fly fishing world i want them to feel comfortable with it and us to work with them and talk with them in a manner that makes them makes them feel comfortable and have a feeling that okay i can do this i thought this was going to be really hard but i can do this and so I, I would I would say that I would I would hope that anyone that comes in the shop is going to feel that level of comfort, and we just we just want to help you get the get the best information and the best gear you can get for what you're planning to do with it. Yeah, and and that is how you beat the internet. 
Well, we hope so. I mean, we think we think it is. Um, but, you know, I mean, you just we're way outnumbered by the Internet p- places. Yeah, but you can kill you can kill people by being nice. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we intend to. We intend to. But I'd say I'd say that's our shop. I mean, it's, and you you pretty much know when you walk in that okay these these folks these folks are beyond serious about this stuff. <laughs> not not that we talk technical or anything because I I can't talk the technical stuff. But you know, there's just not a place that you can talk about around here that where we haven't fished know the fish the the fishery pretty intimately and um and know what to tell you about okay here's how you rig up and here's how you fish that stream or that sec that area of the national forest you know so i hope that's what people get when they come in they feel like they are getting a, 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 a master's degree in uh in fly fishing yeah, but it's super valuable, particularly if you're not booking a guide. I mean, that's the, you know, none of us get to fish as much as we want to, right? Right, um, yeah. And, and so, you know, getting that information is, at least from my perspective, is as or more valuable than getting the gear. Yeah, I mean, you you can you can make do with, uh, with the gear, but if you don't know <laughs> – uh, as I said, I went over two years without landing a trout. I needed somebody to tell me how to catch these things, you know? Yeah. It's also funny, you know, the more you buy, you get better information too. That's what I always try to explain to people. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's just, that's just kind of a natural occurrence. <laughs> yeah. You get to know the secret places. You get to know where we go when we get off work. Yeah. It's funny. I always tell people like when they go out West, I was like, don't walk in a fly shop and just ask them where the fishing is good. You got to go in there and buy some flies mm-hmm. and stuff. And you know, yeah. you'll get a, you get an extra quarter yeah. turn of info on that. So. Yeah. I mean, my biggest bill when I come home from out West is stuff I bought in fly shop <laughs> and could have got, could have gotten it for a lot less in my own shop, you know, but, uh, she, but that's it. I mean, I joke with people that come in. People will drop me an email and say, "Hey, I stopped by the shop today," you know, and uh, and I, my my typical response is, "You know, I can have you arrested if you went in there and did not spend some money." And <laughs> <laughs> uh, and speak, yeah. And speaking of, you've got a relatively younger, well, relatively new and younger uh, sister store, the country store in Clarksville. Um, you know, when did you decide to open that, and how's it different than your shop in Helen? Well, you know, we could probably spend the rest of the evening talking about that, but uh, we've we've been looking at it for quite some time. Clarksville is kind of, it's only 15 to 20 minutes from my shop in Helen, but Clarksville is kind of on the way uh, to the mountains. It's on the way to the the mountain lakes up here in North Georgia, Lake Burton and Lake Raven and Lake Seed and all those. And, um, so there's, there's, there's traffic coming through town and, and, and we thought the whole concept of, you know, there's, there's a square, uh, in the middle of, um, town there and there's shops on either side of the square. And we just, we just kind of like that concept of, you know, walking, people walking the sidewalks and 
coming in your shop while they're looking at other shops around there. And the way it's different is, is we went, uh, we're still, we can do anything. We can provide you with anything you need from a fly fishing standpoint in there. But about two thirds of that shop is a lifestyle clothing and, um, some, a few decorations for cabins and things like that. Um, but we've, we've also been talking lately about, uh, you know, about changing the mix in there a little bit. And, uh, you know, I won't go into it any further, but we're, we're probably within the next, uh, eight months or so, we're probably going to delve a little bit deeper into, uh, the fishing end of it than, than we have been. And, uh, cause it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of demand there, uh, for, uh, things other than trout fishing. And I think, you know, you know, you may know a little bit about, you know, the striper fishing in this area and the, the river bass fishing and that kind of thing. So we're, we're going to try to see if we can't, uh, build up, uh, that part of the business a little bit more in the coming months. And, uh, Let's see how it goes. But Clarksville's a neat little town. Got some great restaurants and um, some cool shops. And uh, and we're there. Unico Outfitters General Store. <laughs> There's a story behind that. People say, where did the General Store part come from? Well, when, when I was growing up and as a teenager, my dad had a country store. That's, that's what he did for a living. And it was called the Round Oak and it was in Round Oak, Georgia, the Round Oak General Store. And so this was kind of an homage to my dad and, and uh, the store that uh, that he had when I was growing up. Yeah, that's neat. Um, you know, and we kind of bumped into this a little bit earlier, talking about kind of the trout fishing in North Georgia. And I guess you really kind of have two flavors, right? You've got kind of your your wild um, kind of brook mm-hmm. trout fishery, right? Because you're the tail end of the southern Appalachian brook trout range, but then yeah. you've also got your trophy water. Um, Jimmy, can you tell us a little bit about kind of the two flavors of ice cream you got? Yeah, well, let me go back just a little bit and tell you this. Uh, when when, uh, <clears throat> when I first moved up here before, <clears throat> excuse me, before I moved to uh, Arkansas, um, the trout fishing in North Georgia was basically waiting on the stocking truck. That was it. There was nothing special about it. Uh, it started in the spring and went through the fall, and you could keep eight. And that was it. That was trout fishing. Uh, over the ensuing decades since that time, uh, Georgia Department of Natural Resources uh, just and and I'm gonna I'm gonna give some credence here to trout unlimited uh, also uh, between the forest service georgia department of natural resources and trout unlimited the trout fishing in north georgia was just totally transformed and now yeah we we still have put and take fisheries streams that you know they've got trout in them because the stocking truck comes every week but we've also got catch and release streams we've got significant number of wild trout streams not not just brook trout but wild brown trout 
uh, while rainbows, I was talking about streams that haven't been stopped in 40 years. So every fish you're catching out of there is a wild fish. And, um, and then we've got, we've got the private trophy streams. We've got one state owned trophy stream, Duke's Creek, uh, which is just outside of Helen. And, um, and then we've got uh, two really good tail orders, the Tacola River over around Blue Ridge. And believe it or not, the Chattahoochee River below Lake Lanier. Now, that is the section of the river that runs right through the middle of Atlanta. And it is a quality wild brown trout fishery. I'm, I mean, second to none. It's cool. Right there in town. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, and I think all of the great thing, right. And, you know, I'm a little bit, uh, further North than you are, but I always think the great thing about the Southeast and particularly kind of the evolution in fly fishing is we've got all these other species we can chase on the fly. Um, Isn't that the truth? yeah. And you mentioned it earlier, uh, talking about, uh, the country store in Clarksville, you know, you guys have shoal bass in Georgia and that's something that you guys guide for. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, for for the longest time, we just kind of kept that to ourselves. <laughs> but but uh, as uh, as the climate's kind of warmed up a little bit, and you can't you can't trout fish a lot of these streams here in the summer. Uh, we started exposing people to shoal bass fishing, and shoal bass are indigenous to the Chattahoochee drainage. Uh, and the Flint River drainage down below Atlanta. And, you know, when people say, well, what are they like? Or are they like a smallmouth? Are they like a largemouth? They they resemble a smallmouth. They act a little bit like a smallmouth. They'll, you, you hook them and they'll, they'll jump and they'll bulldog with you. And you'll have a fish on that's 13 inches long and you're, you think, wow. I've got a trophy here, you know, and then you get him in these 13 inches, <laughs> but so they'll bulldog you quite a bit, but they'll take a fly they, and, uh, top order flies and which is just the coolest thing. It, in all honesty, if, if you took a poll of our staff and asked them, what's their favorite fish, to chase on a fly, I would say that most of them are going to say shoal bath. And uh, it, it's just a lot of fun. You can wade for them. You can float for them. Um, and uh, and got quite a bit of river drainage that, uh, that, that has them. Uh, Georgia's kind of interesting. There's like 10 species of black bass in Georgia. Uh, and then, and then this area, the indigenous fish are the shoal bass, the Chattahoochee bass, which is found, uh, uh, further upstream than the shoal bass It's found in the smaller waters, probably the most beautiful bass on the face of the earth. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying a peacock bass is a bass, but they are just absolutely beautiful with, uh, uh, orange on their fins and white bellies and just a cool cool fish but a a, a 12 incher is a big one and uh, we also have bartram's bass over on the 
Chattooga drainage. So those are all, you know, wild indigenous fish that are just a lot of fun to pursue and don't require um, a lot of the gear that fly, that fly fishing for trout requires. Uh, you know, you can wet wade when the fishing's good for bass. You don't have to have waders. You probably do need a pair of wading boots because, at least at my age, I do because I spend too much time rocking and rolling on bowling balls out there. But uh, but shoal bass, uh, you fish for them in water that looks like trout water a lot. They you they they hang out in the shoals. Now you know a largemouth bass likes the slowest water they can get. Spotted bass, they'll they'll take a little movement in the water and they're they're moving up out of Lake Lanier. But um but show bass, you fish for them a lot like you do trout. But the river's bigger and you don't get hung in the trees as much. Well there you go. Uh <laughs> <laughs> you take all that money you save on flies and buy a boat. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you mentioned earlier, I mean, you've got, I mean, people may not know this, but I mean, you got a phenomenal striper fishery. And I know you also have a really special striper opportunity through your shop, too. Yeah, we do. We uh, Stripers run up uh, the river out of Lake Lanier in the spring. And actually, some of them are year-round residents in the river. They don't ever go back to the lake. But they're trying to spawn when they come up out of Lake Lanier. And there's enough river miles for them to spawn, but there's but the uh, but the water conditions and, and the silt and everything and on the lower part of the river uh, are not conducive to the striper eggs uh, surviving. But they'll come up here and try. So, I mean, you you don't know what fun is until you catch a, a 12, 15 pound striper in a section of the river that's 15 feet wide i mean that's a lot of fun they come all the way up to our shop and there's a dam on the river uh, for the grist mill right below our shop and they'll come up to the base of that dam and right now today there there's probably there's probably a half dozen stripers in there that'll go 20 pounds or better and then there are smaller fish in there also, smaller stripers in there. So it's kind of rough on the trout while they're there, but we just, you know, we try to make lemonade out of lemons and say, you know, hey, here's, here's what we've got right now. And this is, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's kind of like that joke in Tennessee about stocking the South Holston to feed the striped bass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They do like trout, yeah. let me tell you. Yeah, and so, you know, for, for <laughs> folks that are interested, I know that's something that they can uh, book through the shop and come, I think, what is it, it's kind of an early in the morning, late in the evening type thing? Yeah, yeah, yes, it, you know, if the sun if the sun hits the water, you're, you're, not, you're there at the wrong time. You need to be there when the sun is just beginning to lighten it enough where you can see to make a cast, or right at the end of the day when there's enough twilight left where you can see to make a cast. If the sun's on the water, you're not going to have much luck unless we get a storm and it turns the river off color. If it turns it off color, there's no hose barred. You just go out there and try for it. (laughs) (laughs) 
be prepared to run downstream with them because <laughs> they don't necessarily stay where you hook them like a trout will. Yeah, it's like a freight <laughs> freight train on the end of your line. And, you know, it's in- oh, gosh. Yeah, and it's interesting too, Jimmy. We were talking before we started recording that uh, you guys have started to get into destination travel and you got a pretty uh, interesting trip to South America on the calendar. Yeah, I, I, I've been going. I've been going to Argentina for about eight or ten years, I guess. Uh, fishing started fishing with Andes Drifters. Uh, that's our partner down there, and uh, they recently, in the last year or so, combined uh, with another outfitter and changed their name to Set Fly Fishing. S E T, Set Fly Fishing, and. I'm telling you, everything they do is first class. Uh, We were there in March of this year, trout fishing. And uh, and of the group we hosted, there were five ladies with us. And not not all of the ladies wanted to fish from sunup to sundown every day. And they they provided actually anybody. Uh, including myself, who wanted to take part of the day off from fishing or something. They provided them with so many interesting opportunities, whether it was uh, whether it was a private cooking lesson with a chef or a masseuse or kayaking on some of the uh, glacial lakes in the in the Andes there or just just all sorts of stuff got to got to meet and uh, learn from local artisans and things like that. But the fishing down there is just, it's out of sight. I mean, it's just second to none, whether you're trout fishing or whatever. The trip we have coming up next April is for Dorado, Golden Dorado. And that's kind of one of my bucket list fish that I haven't fished for yet. But uh, we do have a trip coming up and, uh, if anybody's interested in it, they can uh, they can look on our uh, uh, Facebook page or just contact us by email, and I'll be glad to send them a package of information. But uh, we'll be uh, we'll have six days of fishing, seven nights in uh, northern Argentina, and uh, and I don't know if you've ever fished for Golden Dorado. Uh, I've got some friends that have, and they just say. It's the best quarry you can go after with a fly. So we're going to find out. Yeah, I've, I haven't done that, but I, I have been to Argentina, and I've been there with the uh, Andes Drifters folks. And I think the neatest thing about that trip in terms of is you don't have a lot of jet lag because there's only a one-hour time difference, right? So yes. you, know, you actually yeah. don't get there. an hour ahead of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so – you know, you fly, I don't know, we flew out of Miami and, you know, you fly at night and you, you get there and you're not completely wrecked because um, your clock's not super messed up. Yeah, yeah. We, we uh, I've, I've done the Miami thing also, but you can also fly direct out of Atlanta. Uh, so, but it's an overnight flight, you know, there's, there's no question about it, but it's, uh, I don't know, it's pretty comfortable. Of course, I'm the, I'm the guy that, you put me on an airplane, and before the wheels leave the ground, I'm asleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it seems like a really short trip to me. <laughs> but uh, if you if you want to go somewhere exotic, trout fishing, 
for sure. I would say, you know, you might want to give Andy's drifters in Argentina a uh, a shot at it. I mean, it's just it's just first class all the way. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, uh, Jimmy, I know you're kind of the face of Unicoi Outfitters, but I know you got a bunch of folks on your team. Um, you want to kind of let folks know some of the other people that kind of help you day to day with the business. Yeah, well, let me let me just say this: uh, the the guy that contacted me uh, um, back in '97 uh, about did I want to buy the shop? His name's David Dockery, and uh, and I convinced David to stay on with me. Uh, David and I have a a pretty compatible relationship. David has no interest in going out and talking to to clubs and groups and try to unlimited chapters and things like that or doing a TV show or anything. But he really gets off on the minutia <laughs> of, of uh, inventory and ordering and things like that, <laughs> which I despise. And so we've got a pretty uh, uh, symbiotic relationship there. But David, David Dockery started the shop in 94. And, uh, and he's still with me. He's still with me. Uh, the staff, uh, that's in the shop on a day-to-day basis is, gosh, I just, I couldn't be blessed anymore uh, than I am with the people I have. Uh, Jake Darling, uh, manages both shops. Uh, he's totally in charge of, you know, the logistics of running the shop, the, uh, the, uh, the work schedules and, and everything else. Jake, uh, Jake has been, <laughs> I was joking. We were in a meeting yesterday uh, in Clarksville with the downtown merchants association. And I introduced Jake to them. And I said, you know, Jake's Jake's a, he's maybe 34, something like that. And he'll get mad at me if I don't know exactly how old he is, but, but he literally has, workforce for over 20 years i mean you know he was a he was a shop rat hanging around the shop and uh we uh put him to work <laughs> and then he and then he started guiding and uh we've got a picture in the shop of jake when he was real small sitting on his dad's shoulders in the middle of a river while his dad's fly fishing and uh, he he couldn't help it. He had to work in this field. Um, but then we we've got a a, a crew of uh, younger guys who work in the shop and guide also, and uh, have been with us a long time. Uh, Wes McElroy and uh, uh, let me just make sure I don't forget anybody. Uh, Israel Patterson, who's been with us for about. Uh, I think three years now and just is fantastic and is an outstanding uh, outdoor photographer. He just really has some good stuff. He's been published in some of the fly fishing magazines and uh, things like that. So, uh, and then, uh, and then we've, we've got, uh, well, David's son, uh, 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 Jackson Dockery, Used to work with us some. He's off on a professional career as a nurse now, but uh, he's still around. He does some guide trips for us. Uh, um, uh, ben Smith, been with us for uh, 
about a year and a half or two years. He's a young guy that was uh, really into the uh, Euro nymphing and the competitive fishing thing for a little while. And uh, but uh, he's, I mean, he he really knows his stuff, and he is a serious, serious bass fisherman. So uh, we got that. Uh, gosh, I'm. I know I'm going to forget somebody. I know I am forgetting somebody, but, uh, got some young guys, uh, still in, uh, uh, just, just early in college. Uh, one of them's guiding in Alaska this summer. Not sure where we're going to get him back <laughs> or not, but, uh, yeah, we've got a good crew. Got a good crew. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, another thing I know about your, you and your shop is that you're incredibly generous, you know, supporting conservation and other outreach efforts. And I was kind of curious if you wanted to share, you know, why it's so important to give back to the fly fishing community and the resource. Um, well, you know, I, I can't really say what the seed of this was, but, uh, but getting involved with Trout Unlimited before I was ever in the <clears throat> professionally in the fly fishing business, you know, I just, I realized at that point, and as I said, you know, we worked with the Forest Service and Georgia DNR and uh, just really worked with them to help improve the trout fishery here and and uh, maybe expand uh, the community a little bit. I was actually, uh in the late nineties, I, I was on the Georgia council and I, I was the vice chairman, uh, of the Georgia council. And, and I, I was scheduled to be the chairman the following year. And this was right when I'd gotten into the fly shop and I, uh, I, I just thought about it and I thought about it and I thought, you know, I, I can do more for the, resource and more for the trout fishing community through the shop than than I personally ever could as chairman of the council of the Georgia chapter Georgia Trout Unlimited. And so that was kind of the the genesis of it was just making that decision. I'm still involved with Trout Unlimited, but um, I'm not on the council. I did not step into the chairmanship of the council. Uh, but we just, we found ways to support every chapter in the state. And we've even supported chapters in North Carolina and South Carolina, um, you know, by making donations to them and things like that. And we've, we feel like we have an obligation, um, to, um, to kind of spread the word. One of the one person I left out who's working with us now, his name is Jeff Derniak. And Jeff just retired after 35 years with DNR as the fisheries biologist for the regional fisheries biologist for North Georgia, meaning he was the trout man in Georgia. And he now works for us. And, you know, I think with Jeff being one of my best fishing buddies all those years, and seeing his dedication to the resource and his dedication to the community, I'm sure that had an impact on me 
to say, you know what, we've, we've really been given an opportunity here and we need to, uh, we need to step up to the plate. We need to not just sit back and, and be takers. We need to be builders and givers, uh, to this, this community in North Georgia. And so, I mean, that's, that's essentially kind of how we worked our way into it. We, uh, we're very active with uh, the Chattahoochee River Keeper, which has been a godsend to the Chattahoochee River. Uh, not not just in North Georgia, but uh, all all the way down to the Gulf Coast. They have done so many things that have uh, improved the quality of uh, the water and uh, the fishery and everything on the Chattahoochee River. So we're really involved with them. Uh, we're in, we're involved with a, a local uh, a group called the uh, Sequoia River Watershed Association. Uh, the Sequoia River starts and ends here in this county, in Habersham County. So anything that's happening on the Sequoia that's detrimental, we've got no one to look at, to point fingers at, but ourselves. So we're uh, we're we're. We're pretty involved with that. I'm I'm actually going to be serving on the board of directors of that in the in the coming months. So uh, that uh, project healing waters, casting for recovery, uh, is one that really just has uh, a piece of our heart. Uh, we provide them with the fishing venue on on the last day of their retreats uh, in Georgia, and we have two retreats in Georgia now: one in the spring and one in the fall. And uh, I'm telling you, if if you don't come away from helping a group like that, uh, if you don't come away with just a feeling like, wow, this may have been one of the most spectacular weekends of my life I just spent here, then, you know, there's I'm, I need to have a talk with you because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it it just it means a lot, and there's a there's a new group on the horizon over there, and it's called Reeling in Serenity, and it's uh, it's for people with addiction. <clears throat> and I think I'll tell you, I was doing a lot of therapeutic fly fishing in the in the middle '90s, and uh, that's basically what Reeling in Serenity is about. They're taking the activity of fly fishing and providing it for you uh, as, as an addict, they're providing fly fishing as your focal point. And uh, that, that means a lot to me also. Um, my dad was an alcoholic and he was a recovered alcoholic, but we went through some tough times during my teenage years. <clears throat> and uh, I think I mentioned earlier, he was a horticulturist, you know, his thing he focused on during recovery was his greenhouse and all the flowers around our house and everything like that. And fly fishing, you you, you can't you've got to pay attention to be of anywhere near a decent fly angle. And I think it's uh, I think it's a great uh, group, and uh, they're expanding to across the country. They started here in Georgia. Uh, Becca Klein started it, and uh, 
you know, just check it out. I hope your listeners will check it out. Reeling in serenity. And uh, you may know someone that could benefit from it. And everything's everything's free for them. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, I probably, um, gosh, probably within the last two months, interviewed Andy, uh, Andy Weiner. Oh yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. It, as a matter of fact, it was probably a week before your event at Nor Mills. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I met Andy kind of when I first started the podcast uh, when his book came out, and he just reached out and we uh-huh. kind of hit it off and. Uh, yeah, you know we uh, we're show buddies now. So when our paths cross on the road, we uh, we get together and maybe have breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's 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 doing a, he's doing a great job uh, leading that group and uh, kind of keeping it uh, keeping it on track. Yeah, and I agree with you. I mean, I you know for me, I know fly fishing is one of those things that really heals me. And um, you know, I've worked with some of those groups, and I think you know the way I always look at it is if. Uh, I can help bring that piece to somebody else. I'm happy to do it. Isn't that the truth? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I tell people, I, I'm either I'm either the most simple-minded individual that's ever existed on the face of the earth, or I'm the most blessed person that's ever been on the face of the earth. My world can be falling down around me, and if I step in that stream with a fly rod in my hand, there's nothing else going on. Mm-hmm. Nothing else but me and that fly rod and a critter with a brain the size of my little fingernail <laughs> that, <laughs> that I'm pitting myself against. <laughs> and that's on a good day, too, by the way. It's that big. <laughs> yes, it, yes, it is. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, it's it's funny. It soaks up all that energy for me. I do have uh, one last uh, question for you, Jimmy, before I let you go tonight. And, uh, you know, Hank the Yank wanted to know if it was possible to be a good carp fisherman if you fished out of a center console. <laughs> well, have you interviewed Hank the Yank I, I, I've interviewed Hank the Yank. He actually did a striper uh, fishing report series with me. <laughs> uh, Henry, Henry is my idol. I mean, he's, uh, he's my hero. Uh, what he's talking, what he's talking about. I have a center console now that I striper fish out of, but the first time I ever fished for carp, Henry took me. I came home and bought a boat to fall a carp out of. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he, he gives me a hard time about it, but. There's not much better. I mean, if they say the tug is the drug, you need to go carp fishing. Yeah. He he also told me <laughs> that you'd catch a lot more fish if you take fewer naps. <laughs> uh, well, you know, my, my claim to fame is that I have napped on some of the most famous trout streams in North and South America. <laughs> well there you go and you know <laughs> you know like george washington slept here exactly yeah. Jim, jimmy napped on this bank right here when he, when he could have been fish could have been fishing <laughs> uh, before i let you go tonight jimmy is there anything i left out you want to tell our folks oh gosh i i don't 
I don't know, Marvin. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. It's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I think if, if there were one thing I would like to, a message I'd like to get out to people who may be listening to this is, is, is talking about giving back. Um, a lot of us have things that we can share with others that, uh, that could actually change their lives. You know, talking about people with, uh, uh, post PTSD or people fighting addictions or people fighting cancer or any, anything like that, or just young people who don't have any opportunities to, to go outdoors, to learn how to fish or just learn how to enjoy being outdoors. Uh, we were fortunate enough, oh gosh, five years ago now, in 2018, Unicoi Outfitters, this little podunk fly shop in a podunk town in North Georgia, won the Orbis Shop of the Year Award. And uh, that still, I, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. I mean, you know, gosh, there, there are shops that I walk in and, you know, and, and I think, wow, when we grow up, we want to be like this. But, but for some reason, they picked us, and I think it was because of the fact that it's more than just fishing. It's about the lifestyle, and it's about giving back and things like that. And, uh, when, when, uh, when they gave us that award, uh, they asked me to get up and say something. And my comments to them at that point were, you're not ever going to get rich running a fly shop. But if you want to feel rich, you couldn't pick a better career you got lots of opportunities to change people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's powerful, right? I mean, being generous with your time and, you know, you know, to your point, you know, helping people not feel alone. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. And, and I appreciate you spending some time with me. If folks wanted to kind of follow uh Unicoi outfitters, find them on the internet and follow the fishing adventures, where should they go, Jimmy? Well, probably the easiest thing uh, you can do is go on social media. We're we're on Facebook and uh, we're on Instagram. Um, we also have a have a blog. Um, it, it's called. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm 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 almost going to get this wrong because we had a big debate about uh, about what to call it. It's called Angler Management. Angler management, and we we try to focus on giving people information. Uh, you know, we may throw a commercial in there every now and then. And say, hey, we got this going on, this sale going on, or whatever. Would you like to? We'd like to love to see you at the shop. But ninety nine percent of our blog is information on helping you become a better fly angler. So you can find us there. And are you on TikTok? <laughs> we're not on TikTok. No, we're not. 
maybe when I'm gone, Marvin, and the younger guys take over, you'll, you'll probably see us on TikTok. Uh, there you go. <laughs> 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 well, Jimmy, I really appreciate it. Uh, you making the time, and uh, maybe our paths will cross in the water soon. I sure hope so, Marvin. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen you. I appreciate you calling. Yeah, you take care and be well. All right. Good night. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. And please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. Tight lines, everybody. <laughs>